It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. And with me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Hey, when you're covered by a health insurance plan that is HSA eligible, but only part of the year, not for the entire year, what amount are you allowed to contribute to that HSA? What happens if you accidentally contribute too much? Mm-hmm. We're going to cover those rules and more on today's episode. If you have any questions, this is all stemming from a question from fan of the show, and then we're going to hit other questions as well. If you have a question, have any needs, we're here for you. Call or text us, 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000 online. WiseMoneyShow.com is where you can find us. Reach out to us there. Learn more about the firm and the show. Or then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search The Wise Money Show. All right, diving into questions from fans of the show and, and got this one recently. And then also had a client scenario where we're dealing with another one of the kind of points. We're going to go deep on this one to start. Here's the question. My husband and I were covered under a HSA eligible health plan for part of the year last year, and we contributed the full amount to our HSA. Is that correct? And if not, how do I know what the right amount should be and how to fix it? So as I shared with Josh and Kevin before, there's three sides to this coin. And, uh, and, and we're, gonna hit, we're gonna hit all of them. And it essentially trying to help you uh, figure out, well, the unique funding rules with an HSA when you're transitioning on, transitioning off of an HSA plan. Now, Kevin uh, said before we started <laughs> airing, uh, this is very complicated. There's no way this is going to make sense to anyone. And I said, no, we're going to do it with our fantastic explanation skills. <laughs> you get Famous it? last week. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> hey, guys, it's messy. It's messy. And so if we can just start at the end, uh, work with your CFP and not only will you get all of the insight that we're about to share with you, but it's going to be personalized for your specific situation, which is why every time we're talking about ideas and concepts, but always telling you and coaching you go work with your CFP because this is not advice. This is information. You need to get this information combined with, with wisdom, with how to apply it in your situation. So the HSA, is a fantastic health and, or excuse me, let me separate that. An HSA eligible high deductible health plan is one thing that doesn't force you to contribute to an HSA account, ATM machine, machine. <laughs> it doesn't force you, it gives you the opportunity to. You've right. got to choose to, to do that and get these questions all the time. HSA dollars are not use it or lose it. This is your money, mm-hmm. okay? Wait, can can we before we get into it just the trifecta of tax benefits with the HSA? You get three of them. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why we often refer to it as one of the very best tax shelters available to you, if you're in the right type of health insurance plan, as Mike was saying. And the the reason it's so good is because when you make a contribution to a health savings account, you get a tax deduction for that year that you make the contribution. In other words, it reduces your income in that year. It it reduces the taxes that you're going to pay. There's tax savings up front when you make the contribution. And then the cool thing is this bucket, this this account that you have the money accumulating in, it is a tax-free bucket. 
which means as it earns interest or as you have it invested and it's growing for the future, maybe over the years or even over the decades, it's growing without the tax man dipping his greedy little fingers in and taking out some of the goodness that's accumulating. It's tax sheltered. Then when you actually pull the money out and it's time to use this money for those medical expenses or, or retirement expenses down the road, it comes out tax-free as well. And uh, so, so to not pay tax at any point along the way is better really than what we can say of almost any other tax shelter scenario. That's right. It's a, it's a triple threat. This is, you know, basketball terms, Lindsay's uh, husband's basketball coach. You can dribble, you can pass, you can shoot, all from the same position. This is the triple threat, HSA. So it's a unique thing, and and I we're more and more coaching people to say, hey, this might be another tool for retirement for you. Right, and, and the beautiful thing about those dollars is when you do pull them out, you're using them for things that typically your medical insurance wouldn't cover. So you can use them at the dentist, you can use them at the optometrist, you can use them you name it. Uh, if you go to the the drugstore, you can um, use it for your prescription drugs or mm-hmm. other things. There's a wide variety of things you can use those dollars for if you're using them real time. All right. So let's get back to the question then. And we're going to hit all three sides. So the first angle we're going to take is, is let's assume you started the year on a, a more comprehensive health insurance plan. And then you switched partway through the year to an HSA eligible high deductible health plan. So, and and we're not going to do math on the radio. I hope <laughs> I won't. Uh, but you started the year on a on a normal health insurance plan. So think of this: you you started the year on a group plan that was not HSA eligible. Partway through the year, you leave that employer and you go to healthcare.gov and you get a an HSA eligible plan and you finish the year. Yeah, with that HSA eligible plan, how and, much can you contribute? And you you may be on that exact same website seeing that the limit or the the contribution maximum for one of these types of plans here in 2024 is four thousand one hundred and fifty dollars for an individual, or it's eighty three hundred dollars for a, a family. And you may say, okay, there's my number. Let's do that much. Let's contribute the appropriate amount there. But what you have to recognize is that's all presuming that you were covered by that high deductible HSA eligible plan for the entire year. Yep. In this scenario, this particular listener is saying, hey, we were we were only eligible or we got into this plan partway through the year. And that's when a pro rata um, rule applies. Yep. If if you're only uh, actually in the HSA type of plan for half the year, then you're limited to half the contribution. And there's an exception to that that we'll get into in just a moment. But think uh, I, I am covered for part of the year, so I get to um, contribute part of the maximum contribution. So you, what you would do is you would take that annual contribution limit plus your catch-up, if that applies to you, and you know family catch-up, all that sort of stuff, if it, if it applies, and then you just multiply that by the fraction. Remember that from second grade, third grade? <laughs> multiply that by the fraction, the number of months out of 12 that you were on an HSA-eligible health plan. And so if you if you made this change on June 30th, July 1st, then it's exactly a half, and you would be able to do half of what you, you know, normally would. Now, in this specific scenario, we started with this side of the coin first, because it's the one where it includes this exception. If you start the year, and let's say the first six months of the year, you are on a non-HSA plan, 
And then starting July 1 and through the end of the year, I said that for a reason, you are on an HSA-eligible plan. Then you could qualify for what's called the last month rule or the month of December rule. I've seen it a whole, you know, Josh will probably change the name of it too. Um, <laughs> but there is a unique rule if you are covered by a, a an eligible, HSA-eligible high-deductible health plan the last month of the year. Josh, explain that. Well, so this is kind of an exception to that pro rata rule. Uh, if if you were only covered for the month of December, or maybe throw November in there as well, then it, it's a really small contribution that you'd be able to make unless you can certify and actually carry out staying on that same HSA eligible plan through the following year. Yeah, for the if, next 12 months. If you stay on that plan, and, and this is kind of a long-term move, then essentially the government has created a way for you in this year, in the startup year, still make an entire year's contribution. So it's not even pro rata, it's a full contribution that you could make. Again, the, the catch here is that you have to stay on that plan through the coming year, though. I'm shocked that, they're, that they even allowed this. I mean, obviously, so the reason why you have to stay on it for 12 months is so that you don't get fancy here and switch December 1st every year and then switch back January every year. And so you're only on a high deductible plan for one month each year and you get the full tax benefit. So I get that. But I am pretty shocked that they that they allow this last month rule that, hey, you're only on it for a few months. And sure, next year you can get the full contribution, but we'll give you the full contribution, full deduction this year. That's surprising. Yeah, you IRS could be, isn't that nice. You could be covered for a total of 13 months, but get 24 months worth of goodness, essentially, from the HSA. And, and, and like we said, there is that, you know, they lock down the loophole where you can't just bounce around, you know. However, depending on your situation, there could be some strategy here. If it's within your control to decide when to make a shift with your plan, maybe you could optimize this, but work with your CFP. Okay, so that's one side. It includes the exception. There's two other sides to this coin. We're going to hit that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Some interesting rules when with funding your HSA when you're only on a high deductible HSA eligible health plan for part of the year. That includes, well, what if what, what if you transition to Medicare? So we're helping with those rules and more. Right now, this is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFT studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. And all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. Okay, so question from Fran of the Show. Husband and I were on a health insurance, uh, an HSA health insurance plan for part of the year. We contributed the entire full year amount. How do we know how much we're eligible to contribute? Could we do the full amount or is it less? And what do we do if we contributed too much? So we're, we're saying there's three ways to approach that, three real scenarios that we didn't get all the details on. The first one is you started on a non-HSA plan and shifted to an HSA uh, high deductible health plan for the second part of the year. And yeah, you could be eligible for the last month rule and get a full year's worth of contribution in if you stay on that high deductible health plan for all of the next year as well. So in that case, if that's if, if that's the uh, order of events here, no harm, no foul. Now let's flip it. Same example, but you started 
on an HSA plan at the beginning of the year and then switch to a non-HSA plan partway through the year. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that pro rata, right? That's Josh? right. That, that's your only option in, in that scenario where uh, maybe you were uh, covered by this HSA plan for the first half of the year, let's say, just to keep the math simple. Then that means that you're going to be limited to a 50% contribution to to that plan for this year. But what if early on, every single year, you're just in the pattern of always maxing the thing out, you know, January each each year? That would mean that you contributed as if you were going to stay on the plan for the entire year, but then it was cut short partway through. And essentially, you've over-contributed in a scenario like that. And the, the good news is this is something that you can correct in this same calendar year. Just get those dollars, the, the excess contributions is what they'd be called. Get those dollars back out of the plan. No harm, no foul. Everything moves on just fine. If you don't discover that this happened until some time down the road, that's when you can start getting into some some penalties. It's an excise tax that they'll apply for each year that the extra money stays in the account beyond when it was supposed to. And it's 6% per year until you get this thing fixed. Yeah. It, the HSA is a little bit more flexible than the IRA or Roth IRA if you mistakenly put too much in or whatever. And so, yeah, like Josh said, just just take the extra money out. And then when you do your taxes, don't say, oh, well, I contributed this full amount. No, only, only say, only deduct the amount that you were allowed to and you're fine. The thing you got to be aware of is if you started the year on an HSA plan through your employer and your employer made a contribution, then that contribution is likely going to be deducted right there on your W-2, and there might need to be some fancy footwork there to correct mm-hmm. that one. So work with your with your CFP. But but yeah, in that rule or in that situation where you are you started on an HSA plan, you switched to a non-HSA, it's pro rata. You got to do that fraction, that math, and and it's it's going to be it's going to be clunky. I I still. I still don't fully know how the IRS audits this and checks it, but, but you know, you got to file it correctly. And right. if you're audited, you don't want to have any skeletons in your closet. And when you hear us talking about the complexity of these rules and, and so on, this is one of the reasons why you have a certified financial planner. Hopefully they're also working with a health insurance expert who's guiding you on, on selecting the right plan and just helping you to stay in compliance on this stuff. Yeah, it's a little bit of complexity. With the right systems in place, it doesn't have to be too daunting, and it's all worth it in the end. Mm-hmm. To use this type of a plan as one of the best tax shelters available to you to help you achieve better results in your financial life, yeah, accept a little bit of complexity, manage it with a professional, and take advantage of the goodness that comes from it. Yep. All right, so now the third side to this coin same scenario and that's why i'm including it here even though this wasn't part of the question but you're on an hsa plan an hsa eligible high deductible health plan for part of the year but in this scenario instead of just switching to a uh, a non-hsa plan you switch on to medicare that actually has some special rules with it if you switch from a hsa eligible high deductible health plan on to Medicare on your 65th birthday, how much can you contribute? It's pro rata, mm-hmm. just like we mentioned. No big issue there. And uh, and so that would just apply the same, the same rules, the same logic. But 
What if you switch onto Medicare after you're age 65? And so in this scenario, you're doing so would mean, well, you could be penalized if you're not on a, a, you know, an eligible plan. Well, an eligible plan would be a, or creditable coverage, I think is what they call it, um, is, would be a group plan. So you work, you know, you, you finish the year in which, you know, you don't retire on your 65th birthday, you retire at the end of the year. Or you retire at 67 because you want to max out your social security or you love what you do. You're healthy and, and all that. So you retire at 68 or 70 or something, something like that. So you're staying on that group health plan and, and you're doing this maybe because, okay, we're in high income years and we'd be paying Irma if we switch. So we're going to stay on the group health plan and uh, yeah, it might be higher than the base rate of Medicare, but we we're avoiding Irma. And so it's actually cheaper and better, and we get to fund this HSA. What happens in the year, then, that you switch from that HSA plan to Medicare after 65? The potential gotcha here is that the government looks backwards six months from that time that you sign up for for Medicare on any date other than your 65th birthday. Right, for Medicare Part A. Uh Because you... Because you might say, okay, I'm just going to sign up f- up for Medicare Part A. I've I'm I've got my own deal. I'm I'm still working. I'm 67. I'm still working, but I'm going to sign up for Medicare Part A because I heard my friends talking about it. As soon as you do that, there's a six month look back, and you're not eligible to contribute to so, an HSA. Which and. So at 67, you say, I'm not full retirement age. I'm going to sign up for Social Security, but I'm going to keep working. That signs you up for Medicare Part A. Mm-hmm. So you, mm-hmm. you ju- without realizing it, this is where we talk about connecting the seemingly disconnected parts of your financial life because the, you know, the, the hip bones connected to the elbow. And, and <laughs> if, you, if you're not careful, you're going to screw something up and without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's why as you get closer and closer to retirement, it is important to begin getting into those nitty gritty details um, to, to be thinking about not just, hey, how much can I afford to spend or where are we going to take our first big vacation when we get into retirement? No, there's some details on things like health insurance and, and how do you make a smooth transition from a group plan at work onto Medicare? What's going to shut off at what time? That, that sort of thing. And again, it's, it's not too early. The, the year or two before you're going to retire to begin having those conversations. And even two to three months before uh, you actually pull the trigger, you actually take the leap, whatever metaphor you want to use, that's a time to be not only talking to your certified financial planner, but also now including the health insurance expert that's going to guide you on your Medicare decision making. So there's another little wrinkle within this this six-month rule. Let's say you turn 65 in October, October 1st or whatever, and you retire 1231 and get on Medicare on 1-1. It's not a six-month look back because six months prior to that point, you were 64. So it's, it's, it goes back until you turn age 65 or six months, whichever is shorter, believe it or not. So it doesn't mean that, you know, at 67, if you make this transition, it dates all the way back, your, your Part A 
starts when you were 65. It would only start at six months. But so it's just it's just tricky. And we'd already mentioned, you know, the best way to contribute to an HSA is right out of payroll. Well, if you're doing this out of payroll and you don't get this right, cleaning it up can be messy, pretty, pretty messy. And so work with your CFP. Make sure they're on top of this as well. Hey, even if you don't remember anything that us geeks just said, hey, I remember there's something, right? Is there something we need to be aware of here? And your CFP should say, oh, yeah, I've already factored that in, calculated, blah, blah, blah. And so HSA, all this complexity, all the potential trap, Josh said. Is that a reason not to use it? Oh, my goodness. No way. It's the trifecta. Again, it's a fantastic retirement tool and tax planning tool. Make sure you avoid these pitfalls. So, all right. We've got more questions from fans of the show. That more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Okay. We've been talking about the HSA. Well, what about Medicare? Transitioning on to Medicare, what's it going to cost? How do I figure that out? We're helping with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFT studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, search the Wise Money Show. Subscribe to it there. Follow us there. Rate the program there. We appreciate it. The entire, the entire show is, is about connecting the seemingly disconnected parts of your financial life in order to bring synergy to your financial decisions and, and have you improve your overall financial wellness and, and financial freedom, all that sort of stuff, help you have clarity, confidence, and creative ways of achieving your financial goals. So, all right, we're into questions from fans of the show. It just really broke down a, a detailed one about HSA contributions in a year that you're only on an HSA eligible plan for part of the year. Switching over to, to questions from other fans of the show, Alan submitted a question here. I'll be 65 in October this year and plan on retiring next April, but my wife is 15 years younger than me. We're trying to figure out the cost of her medical and my plans, and it's just mind-boggling. Who do you talk to and who will give the best advice? Well, and and I like the question. Uh, First of all, congratulations, Alan. Um, But I I like the question um, because it ties into what we've been talking about because Alan if you're not on Social Security and you sign up for Social Security, that signs you up for Medicare Part A. So if you are doing anything related to Medicare, you are no longer eligible to do an HSA contribution. So you need to know that because you might say, but wait a minute, my wife has a uh, an HSA eligible plan. Um, what about me? And so th- th- this is where you want to understand what the rules are. Who do you talk to, it seems like, is, is really your question. And this is where I would I would try to find a multidisciplinary firm uh, like a Corhorn Financial Group because, and it, this may sound like, you know, shameless self-promotion, but we have the certified financial planners who are working with the medical insurance, health insurance experts trying to figure out what's the best plan. And a lot of times we're looking, because Alan, if your income is dropping meaningfully, um, you didn't say anything about your uh, wife who's younger. If she's retiring at the same time you're retiring, income-wise, she may need to get on a, a marketplace plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's some serious considerations about what type of income you'd be willing to accept 
from your portfolio and other things like that. Yeah, you could ask this question and think, okay, I just need to go shopping for some health insurance. I need someone who will be an expert and help me know my options. How do I figure out how to get this done as cost effectively as possible? And essentially try to make that decision in a in a vacuum or or kind of silo this insurance decision away from all the other areas of your financial life. But here here's the reality. This is as much a a financial planning question as I've ever heard, mm-hmm, right? For sure. Because it impacts so many other areas of your financial life. You have to pay attention to the tax ramifications of this decision. You know, um, what what type of marketplace plan are you going to go on to? Are there some tax credits that will be available to you? And if so, how much? And part of it could be dependent upon what you choose to do with your retirement income as well. We get into things like cash flow. That's probably where your mind goes to first and foremost. Like, what's the budget going to be for paying these premiums? Well, you've got a decision that you need to make uh, as the retiree. Are you going to go on to a traditional Medicare with a Medicare supplement type of a plan? Or are you going to go more of the Medicare Advantage option? Which one's appropriate for you? Here's the reality. There are no uh, like one-size-fits-all uh plans in, in a situation like this. This is something where it needs to be custom tailored to you. And that requires some sort of, of forecast and real clarity on what does your retirement outlook look like? What are your sources of income going to be? What uh, investment resources are you going to be able to tap into? And again, what what impact is that going to have on the tax picture and what you end up end up playing? I just want you to to recognize that this is more than just an insurance decision. It is a financial planning decision. And that's why it should be a certified financial planner in your corner with you, along with their team of experts, which would include a health insurance specialist. Did So, okay. So there's, I, I'm seeing there's three questions here. And, but the first one was, who do you talk to? Did you, did you hear the the tone of Josh's voice? You want to talk to someone who hears that question and gets excited. They lean in and they, you know, the twinkle, they get a twinkle in their eye. They're, they start talking a little bit faster because they're like, oh, this is, this is great. You actually have a choice here and the choice you make can really influence, uh, you know, the, the amount that you pay and let's solve this riddle. Cause I understand these pieces. You've got to fit them together in just the right way. Let's figure this out. Now that's that's more um, you know qualitative or I, I guess, but yeah, a CFE that's doing comprehensive financial planning, but who collaborates with your CPA and your health insurance professional, preferably they're all on the same team, the way that we're set up. So so that's one. That's the person that should be giving you advice. Josh is completely right. Josh Kevin, there it's a financial planning decision for you. Turning, going on to Medicare, deciding between traditional Medicare and Medicare Advantage, you want to make that decision in the context of your financial plan. It's going to be based on what you pay. It's going to be based on what your income was in 2022, the prior, prior year. If your adjusted gross income, modified adjusted gross income as a married filing jointly was below 206, you'll pay the base rate, $174.70, plus your, you know, any Medicare Part C premium or uh, prescription drug premium or, or supplement or, or something like that. So that's what you'll pay. And you'll need to be cognizant and aware of what your AGI is each year from here on out to ensure that you continue to pay that base rate and not a surcharge. That's the second question. Third, 
Well, what are the options for my spouse who's 15 years younger? You want to sit down and explore all those options. She's got group coverage through work, then that's probably option number one. If she doesn't, then maybe it's COBRA. If you guys are on group health insurance right now and you're retiring, maybe it's COBRA for her. Maybe it's Medicare uh, or, or, or not Medicare, healthcare.gov. And that's where, again, you get some options. Well, what will my income be? And therefore, what will I pay and, and all that? Oh, guys, this is like, Josh, you said it. It's quintessential. I can't think of a more financial planning question than this one. And uh, you want you want someone that's this excited to help you. So anyway, good, good question. Good question. All right. Uh, next question is coming from Daniel. Uh, okay, Kevin. Yeah. Go for it. Well, <laughs> this he says it funny but um, and spells it funny. That's fine. He says, oorah which is what my son Caleb, who's a second lieutenant in the Marines, says as well. Uh, now anything, anytime the family, anyone in the family chat or anywhere says something, he starts with oorah. And I'm like, who are you and what have you done with my sweet little KK? But uh, anyways, he says, oorah, Corhorn Financial. I never miss an episode of the Wise Money Show. I've got another fellow Marines to listen as well, which is great. Oh, that's cool. Because, this is just a little bit of a tangent, forgive me, Navy Federal Credit Union offered my son, when he went to officer's basic school, a $25,000 career starter loan. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so oh. so they're, they're basically, they're like, welcome to Quantico. Here are the shackles. If yeah. you would like us to custom fit these, uh, to your ankle, you can drag this ball and chain. And Caleb was explaining, well, a lot of guys don't necessarily show up with resources because, you know, they've just oh, come yeah. from being a poor college student and and, and uh, so they may not have a lot of money. That's very tempting. So yeah. I, I, I've I explained to both of my sons, the in, in the military, the only thing that the people around you are trying to do is separate you from your money. And so, whether it's on base or off base, you're they're trying to separate you from your money. But I uh, I digress. So, thank you for getting other Marines to listen because they need to listen. I can give you lots of bad advice you've heard. I wonder what your thoughts were on car warranty programs like Car Shield. So, I was just talking to you about getting separated from your money. Uh, here we go. And homeowner warranty programs are they worth the money or are they a scam? I'm gonna say. Two different programs, and we're going to have to get into it in the next segment. I know. So, so we're going to take a short break and then and then get back to it. But, but Dan, Daniel sent this question in a while ago. So, thanks for your patient, buddy. And and he's sent in um, uh, other questions before. So, we appreciate your your listenership and and uh, and, and sharing, your service and sharing your the service. news That's and your right. service. Absolutely. So, we're going to hit that question and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode, as well as a lot of other content, is on the Wise Money YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, and subscribe to it there. Turn on notifications here, no matter where, every time we drop new content, which is a ton, guys. It's not just this, the, the, the talk show, the radio station. It is lots of content well over a thousand videos every single day, every single workday. 
Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so turn on notifications and you can leave comments, questions there. If you like the content, like the content, we appreciate it. So into questions from fans of the show, Daniel, once again, thank you for your service. Kevin served in the army. Yes. Is that like, do you have to say it like that when you're talking to a Marine, like in the army? No, (laughs) no, no, uh, not at all. The, uh, the, the Marines I found have great respect for army guys. (laughs) (laughs) And then Kevin's, uh, uh, Two of uh, his three kids have, have served, and Caleb's in the Marines right now. So, okay, so a question from Daniel said, um, uh, I wonder about your thoughts on car warranty programs like Car Shield and home warranty programs. Are they worth the money? And so, Kevin, yeah, you're saying I'd treat, both, I'd treat those separate. So, okay. Well, and I'm saying, Daniel, be careful because in every direction there's someone trying to scam you. And we could do uh, several shows on the scams that I saw my Army buddies get into. And so, but let's just take them one at a time. So Car Shield, I personally am not a, a fan of car warranty programs. So I believe, and, and it's not just car warranty, it's most warranty programs. Because basically, I, I am not a betting man and you're, you're making a bet. So here's what you have to decide. I'm either going to discipline myself and set aside money for my car on a monthly basis and prepare. And if you own a car, you need to set aside a hundred bucks a month for for rep, reparations for your car. And if your if your car, uh, you you say, well, I don't, I'm not going to have any repairs for the next eighteen months. Well, guess what? Eighteen months from now, you might have a big one. Uh, right? uh, yeah. Who knows? So you don't know. So I would say, if you're disciplined enough to basically self-insure, then do that. If you can't, then maybe you might. Add that to the payment when you're buying the car. But, Daniel, I would encourage you to be buying your car uh, with cash. Um, uh, There's probably lots of guys around you who have enough income to sign up for a pretty amazing car payment. And I would say try to avoid that trap and try to self-insure for your own uh, warranty issues. You know, I had a client who was uh, going through a transaction, swapping vehicles, and uh, they asked me, "Hey, w- how do you feel about warranties?" And I, I gave the exact same speech that you just did. That I'm, I'm not really a believer. If you have the right emergency fund in place and you're doing the right maintenance, and hopefully you've done great research and you're picking vehicles that are reliable over time. Maybe it's not the flashiest thing, but something that is going to be dependable and you're not going to get nickel and dime to death on maintenance and repairs and and stuff like that. And you know who I was actually debating with was the mechanic. The Hmm. mechanic was telling her, oh yeah, I'm a big believer in warranties. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, of course you are because you're not billing your own customer. You're billing the warranty company. Like, is it in their best interest to to be able to do warranty work. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm always skeptical or looking for conflicts of interest or whatever. But uh, I, I think, you know, they ended up doing the warranty. And for some people, it's more about the emotional peace of mind than mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Especially if you're buying sure. a used vehicle, you, you just don't really know how well was this thing maintained. And it just gives you... I don't know, a little bit more comfort that hopefully I'm not buying a lemon. And if I did have some issues, then I have some sort of recourse, someone that I can go to who will get their checkbook out and help try to make things right for me. Yeah. So, Daniel, a car warranty is a tool. And actually, not all tools are created equal. So there are some that you can buy from the dealer themselves and some that are aftermarket. And so you you 
<laughs> the time that it would take to educate yourself on the difference and figuring all that stuff out, you'd probably be better off just working on your budget and <laughs> uh, figuring out how to make sure you are disciplined enough to take care of that. Now, the homeowner warranty program is a totally different animal. Again, these are tools. So I, we don't go to the toolbox and say we love the hammer and hate the wrench. We look at the tools and say, well, there are appropriate uses for these tools and inappropriate uses. So especially like a homeowner warranty program, one of the things that we've done personally as we've sold houses, that I think the last two houses that we lived in as we sold them, we said, hey, we're going to pay for a homeowner warranty program. It was, I don't know, 350 bucks or something like that. I think it's a little more than that now. It might be. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, but whatever it is, and by including that in the sale, the person who was buying the house knew, hey, if there's something wrong here, if the fridge goes out within six months of buying the this house, I'm covered. Mm-hmm. So the 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 big or the furnace or or whatever, you have to look at what those those things cover. But I actually think in the right use case. A homeowner warranty could be a nice tool, especially if if you're trying to sell your house or if you say, hey, I'm buying a house. I don't have the time to do all of the inspections that I'd want to do. And I want to know. I'd rather. So pretend. I don't know. What is it? 650? Yeah, Who knows? I, I would say so, a, a little less than a thousand or maybe around that. And I think it's it's probably uh, dependent upon yeah, the, size and where you're at. Sure. It depends on a lot of things. But you might say, hey, if you're if, if you're in the Marines, you might be moving around a lot. And you oh, might yeah. say, hey, look, I don't have the time to do the inspections and I don't want a four or five thousand dollar repair. So I'm willing to to part with less than a thousand dollars to know that, that I'm basically hedging and protecting myself against any of these things that might come up uh, right. if I, in the event that I'm buying a lemon without realizing it. Yep. I, so we actually made a claim on a on our home warranty when we bought our first house, and it wasn't a fantastic experience because in this scenario it was for an appliance that broke down almost right away, and um, the the individual that we had come fix it, they said, well, I'm billing you, and then you have to submit the claim to the home warranty and get refunded, and that was a little bit of an arm wrestle, and they didn't give us all of what we expected, which is, I've seen that happen more with car warranties, where you're like, okay, this should be 100% covered, and then (laughs) it's not, or whatever, there's a a surprise or fine print. And so you're gonna have that with warranties at times, but it feels like, the magnitude of costs or, or the scale of the cost with a house are at a whole different level. Yes. And so I, I, I agree, Kevin. And you so. can kind of live without a car for a little bit. You can't live without your furnace. You can't live without your yeah. fridge. You can't live with... A, Although a- we've tried. <laughs> Man. All right. We're going to sneak one more question in here. This one's coming from Lucy. Hello. I'm currently serving in the U.S. Army. Wow. This, uh, we got a theme here. Thanks for your service. Uh, with my husband, we we're stationed outside of Indiana. We still pay Indiana state taxes, or we did in 2023, but uh, due to the Indiana House Bill 1034, income tax exemption for military pay, starting this year in 24, will we be eligible to continue to get the state tax credit with the Indiana 529 plan, even though we're not paying Indiana state taxes? And that, Lucy, thanks for your service. Great question. 
in um, when I served because I was a Michigan resident in Michigan, your pay, your military pay, you do not pay state taxes on. And it looks like that's going to happen in Indiana as well. The Indiana 529 plan credit offsets state of Indiana income taxes. So if you're not paying any state of Indiana income taxes, that credit doesn't, I, I don't know if you say it doesn't do any good. I don't know if that's accurate, but Lucy, this, this would be where you do want to talk to a financial planner because you say, do I put extra money into the TSP, which is your retirement plan? Or does your husband put extra money in the TSP? Do I put extra money into the raw side of the TSP or, or just your own Roth IRA. Because if you're, if you're thinking 529 plan, you're probably thinking this is education money for the kiddos and don't let the tax tail wag the dog. If that's still your goal and you no longer are getting a tax credit, eh, okay, but you still got to fund that goal. It's like having the 401k, but your company doesn't offer a match. That doesn't mean stop using the 401k. You still got to fund your retirement. And so, so be aware of it, but it might mean there is a different tool that you want to use if this is, well, it might be for college. It might be for long term. I don't know. Maybe the Roth side of the TSP, maybe getting the TSP tax deduction, maybe Roth IRA, work with your CFP. But yeah, it's it's a credit against Indiana state taxes. And if you're no longer going to have those, good for you, but no tax benefit. All right. Thanks for the questions. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Yeah, I, th- I think... Our tagline should be the wise money show, making sense out of nonsense since 2015. It's ridiculous, dude. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.